text, and it's not, I'm just going to let it un, part of it unfold, fully persuaded. Now, I'll share with you a text in just a moment. Fully persuaded. Let's pray. Father, we love you. So honored to be in this house and deeply privileged to have the opportunity in just a moment to read the Word of God. And I pray, Lord, illuminate the Word. And I have already prayed this prayer privately, but I want to pray it publicly now. Let preaching come easy in this house today. Open our hearts and our minds. Quicken the Word in our hearts today in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. You can be seated. Now, personally, as I, many of you or most of you are very well acquainted with the fact that Pastor Brown has very little uh, academic training in study of, of Scripture. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm ignorant of the Word of God. It just simply means I haven't sat in a seminary for this training process. But with that said, I always want to handle the Word of God accurately. I don't want to ever be found guilty of mis... Paul uses that term, mishandling the Word. I don't want to be found guilty of mishandling the Word of God, corrupting the Word of God, manipulating the Word of God. But I'm going to start today with a verse of Scripture that I'm going to take it out of its context for just a moment. And in taking it out of its context, I want to, uh, I still believe it is applicable. It's one verse of Scripture that I want to read, but let me give you the context. And then let's just see if there is a measure of it applicable and that it's not an abuse of the text to extract it. In Romans, the 14th chapter, the Apostle Paul is picking up the subject of whether or not days or foods, uh, choices of foods were um, allowable in the New Covenant versus the strict restrictions of the Mosaic law, especially in the context of days. Paul said, you know, one man esteems one day greater than the other. And the reference is very possibly to the Sabbath. One day, uh, you know, and not only just one day, but with, in, with Israel, there would have been multiple days, feast days. He said, whether, whether or not you do or not, there's a, a certain bit of uh, individuality that has to be applied. And he kind of summarized with this. He said, whether or not, this is Romans 14 in the fifth verse. I'm only going to uh, actually read the latter portion of it. They may put it on the screen just real quickly. Well, it says, one man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. But here's where I want to draw your attention to. It's that last statement. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Now, so even though this passage is not addressing the issue of either tithing slash giving, I, I, I still believe that last statement is applicable. Every man, because this is such a controversial subject, because the church has debated it for 2,000 years, because, again, a multitude of books from different positions are being written, and you find yourself saying, I don't even know what to believe. Well, you need to study so that you can be fully persuaded in your own mind. I don't want you just coming to the front of this assembly because you're caught in a vortex. You're caught in the movement of people that are coming to the front that's putting their offering in the plate. I want you to have read the Word of God, studied the Word of God for yourself, and you're fully persuaded in your own mind that you are giving either your tithe or your offering according to the convictions that the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart by the Word of God. Does that make sense? And so real quickly, maturation of faith, growing as a disciple of Christ, 
growing in the knowledge of God, which that's what we, and as a pastor, that's my greatest excitement is when I see believers mature in faith. When I see areas, can I use, I'm going to pick on one person, call their name out. I ought not do this, but I'll do it anyway. As they say, it's easier to ask forgiveness than it is permission. But when we had our magical Christmas night, our own Dwayne Johnson was our Grinch. Now, I had asked Dwayne to really Grinch it up and to just kind of be a, I said, this is your moment to be a smart aleck. This is your moment to just let it all out. And he had spent 15 years of his faith trying to die to that. And then I'm trying to empower him to do it. And just to be honest, I think he struggled a little bit because it was now again, he's grown. He's matured. It's, he's put to death that part of his life. And here I was asking him to do it and throw a snowball down at a little child in church. But no greater joy that I have than to see you grow, see you mature. And to see you become the person God wants you to become. And I, I really believe that we all have to grow as we grow in the knowledge of God. That includes, that includes learning the principles of biblical economics. It's a part of your growth. Let me ask you a question. You answer it in your own mind. Can you really be called a mature believer and not be a faithful giver or tither? I said answer it in your own mind. People listen to me here today. <laughs> so, so that's a good, how many know that's a good question? Look at this passage of Scripture. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Now, it's in the, this particular context. Now, let me say this. I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians 9 and in 2 Corinthians 8 just a little bit today. And I understand the distinction. The first passage, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 9 is addressing giving as it relates to the support of ministry. I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. This particular passage here, the, the right context, I'm looking this way, you're looking that way. 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church about a special offering, not the week weekly support or, the, or the, the normal support that went to the local church for, for their pastors or their ministry, but he's writing to them about giving to a special offering to help the poor saints in Jerusalem. But some of the, some of the principles remain the same. Even when it is applied to a different recipient, some of the principles remain the same. But look what he said, as you abound in everything. And so he's saying, as you grow, as you mature in faith, and in utterance, utterance is the spoken verbal gifts. He said, as you grow in knowledge and in all diligence, and as you grow in your love to us, Paul is writing, as you grow in your relationship to apostolic leaders, he said, see that you abound in this grace also. So put it in its right context. Paul is saying, you're growing in every area of your life. You're growing in faith. You're growing in utterance. You're growing in the knowledge of God. You're connecting to leaders. You're connecting to the church. Make sure that you're growing and maturing concerning giving or potentially even tithing. Does that make sense? So each of us in this room, we need to be able to understand to some degree, you need to be able to understand the law of sowing and reaping. Because it's in the earth. God put it in the earth in the Genesis. You need to understand the history of the tithe. I can't take you there today. But you need to have read it for yourself. You need to understand faithful stewardship. What do we mean by a steward? It means you don't own the resources that you now possess. They belong to God. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. 
You know, naked, Job said this, naked I came out of my mother's womb and naked I'm going to go into eternity. You're not going to, I know the Egyptians used to bury their kings in their tombs with gold and silver and all types of resources. So in the afterlife, when they awoken from their, uh, their earthly sleep called death, they would have all that. That's not the way it works, right? You're the, we're stewards of the resources God's given us. You need to study that out for yourself. You need to know that Jesus, you need to read on your own that Jesus taught or used the metaphor of money more than any other subject in all of Scripture. And all of his teaching, he used it. He spoke more about money than heaven or hell. But you need to know that, not because I said it, because you read it. Well, you need to know what were the early practices of the, of the early church, but also what was the early doctrine of the church. So in essence, what I'm saying is you need to study. And as you study, well, here's what's going to happen. A basis for your belief will begin to emerge. And when that basis for your belief begins to emerge, you know what you're going to become? You're going to become fully persuaded in your own mind. You're going to be fully persuaded because you've read the word of God and God has quickened truth in your heart. So for today, I'm going to share because I can't adequately present this debate to you concerning tithing versus giving. But I want to just highlight the tithe. Now, the tithe is actually a word that comes to us in the Hebrew language that means a tenth. Most of you are familiar with this. It's found about... I don't know, about 30 times in all of both the Old and the New Testament. Certainly many more times in the Old versus the New. Some that believe in giving in the New Testament as involuntary giving or as, as voluntary giving. The Holy Spirit inspires them to give. And there's not a basis for it based upon the tenth or the tithe principle. Others believe in the tithe principle. I believe in the tithe principle. I don't teach it legalistic. I don't teach it as a commandment in this sense. I teach it as a principle of the Word of God. That once the Lord highlights it and illuminates your eyes, then you become held accountable to that. And for me, the basis that I believe, the reason why that Lee and Sherry Brown for the past 20 years of our life, 20 plus years of our life have faithfully practiced tithing is number one, the reason why is because Abraham tithed. The reason why, the reason why I want to mention Abraham is because he was the father of the faith. Before the Mosaic law, before the command in the book of Numbers, before the command in the book of Leviticus, before the argument made by theologians to debate the issue or not, Abraham was returning from a slaughter in which he had recovered his, his uh, nephew Lot as well as he had recovered a lot of spoil from the war because the enemy, five kings had come in, attacked his family, taken his nephew away as well as many resources. Abraham gathered 300 men. In, they overtook these five kings and these five nations, and by the miraculous power of God, they won a great victory. Amen. When they came back, they had the spoils of war in their hand, and they were met by, wouldn't it be the first person to meet them, would be the preacher. At that moment of blessing, there's the preacher. His name is Melchizedek. And I don't get, I'm not going to go into all the mystery behind Melchizedek, but Melchizedek was a priest and a king, one of the few in Scripture mentioned that's both a priest and a king. He is the priest and the king of a city called Salem, which would later be, be called Jerusalem, and he foreshadowed Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that Abraham took a tenth of the spoils and gave it to Melchizedek. 
Melchizedek. And when he gave it to Melchizedek, Melchizedek then blessed, then blessed Abram. And so for me, I am motivated to tithe, not because of a legal requirement of the Mosaic law, but because of the faith and the faithfulness of Abraham and because I am by faith a son or a daughter of Abraham. That's where I became fully persuaded in my own mind. Now, concerning the law, number two, here's something that I believe in as your pastor. I believe in the principle of the law. What I mean by the principle of the law, the Bible itself in the New Testament says the law is good if a man use it lawfully. You've heard me say on more than one occasion that if I can, without using slang, which I'm going to, it is that the, the, the law has a bad rap. We think that because we're not under the law, the law has no value. But the law was the oracles of God. It was the mind and the will of God revealed to the Hebrew people that kept them from living like the pagans that they were surrounding them. And it's filled with principles and precepts. It comes with shadows and images of that which was a better way. But we do not avoid our study of it. So I believe in the principle of the law. And I'm going to bring your attention to this in 1 Corinthians 9. Let's bring that up on the screen if we can for just a moment and the eighth verse because now this is the apostle paul writing to the corinthians and he's writing to them about their ministry support their giving in the local church and how it related to ministry to which i'll allude in a moment i'm not talking about that right now but as paul is addressing these issues look what he says am i saying these as a man because he's saying if i'm saying it as a man then it could be null and void but he's saying, but does not this what the law says also? Now, oddly enough, he doesn't bring up the reference to the tithe, but he brings this up, ninth verse. Let's go a little bit further. For it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Tenth verse. Or saith he it altogether for whose sake? For our sake. He's writing this in the twofold, uh, to, in, in, in two directions, one to the ministry, one to those that are giving into ministry. He's saying it's written for our sakes. No doubt this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be a partaker of his hope, to which I'll allude more in just a moment. But catch what he said. He said, it is said for our sakes. It is written in the law of Moses. So he used the reference to the law to learn the principle of giving in ministry. And so as we were to read down further, look at the 13th and the 14th verse, if we can, very quickly. Do you not know that they which minister about holy things? So here he's writing to both Jewish and Gentile believers in Corinth, and he's referencing the temple he's talking about the temple they which minister about holy things live the, because if you know church history you know that the church at corinth started in the synagogue as most of paul's ministry always began in the gentile cities in the jewish synagogue that was uh, that resided in the city and so they were familiar with the temple many of them had probably traveled to jerusalem if they were jewish they certainly had traveled to the temple and he said don't you know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar which i'll allude to that in a moment but he's just simply saying the priesthood and the temple are receiving their life livelihood from the faithful offerings of the people of israel and so look at the 14th verse here's the key point even so 
Even so, King James English, other translations would say it this way, in comparison or as it was there, as the Lord commanded that, so he's commanding this. Even so hath the Lord ordained in comparison, the same way that according to the law, the people are bringing their tithes and the offerings into the temple. He said, in like manner, we bring our offering into the New Testament church for the support of ministry. That's the context here. So to me, the law has value. So let me say this for just a moment. As we use a comparison, what stirs us? What persuades us? What persuades me? Let me ask you this today. We gather for worship in this room after the pattern of the temple. Ancient Israel came together and worshiped God. Where? At the temple. Matter of fact, God said this. See, that's why I know you can worship God at home, but everybody needs to be a part of a local body of Christ. You do. If you will read in the book of Deuteronomy, the 12th chapter, Moses said, look, I've said it, I'll use my language to tell you what Moses said. Moses said, this is not Burger King, you can't have it your way. In Deuteronomy 12, he said, you can't burn incense on every hill. You can't just bring your offering anywhere. He said, God's going to appoint a place. He's going to appoint a priesthood. And as God blesses you about your job, you got to connect to that place and you got to connect to your priesthood. I believe that principle applies today. And all of this carnal attitude that a lot of Christians have that's unwilling to submit to others in the Lord is unbiblical and it is rebellion in the eyes of God. God has a place and he has a people that he wants all of, are y'all hearing what I'm saying, that we're to connect to. And so I believe that we're following the pattern of ancient Israel by even being here today. We have pastors and deacons because they had priests and Levites. The pattern. We have music, song, worship, and we have this experience because they had worship. They had songs, they had trumpets, they had stringed instruments, and they praised God. We read, teach, and preach the Word of God. After what? After the pattern of the temple. Let's go a little further. We present ourselves, you know, they presented dead sacrifices. Well, first it was living, but then it was slain, and it was presented on the altar as a dead sacrifice. But when we come to the Lord, what do we do? We present ourselves what? A living sacrifice. But after what? After the pattern of what? The temple, after the pattern of the temple. So let's summarize for just a moment. We worship after the pattern of the temple. We have pastors and deacons after the pattern of the priests and the Levites. We have music, song, and worship after the pattern of the temple. We present ourselves a living sacrifice after the pattern of the temple. Then why would we not, why would we not give tithes and offerings after the pattern of the temple? Man, that's a good preaching for a formerly young guy like myself. So very quickly, number three, number three. There's a reason why I believe in it. It's because I've been grafted into the olive tree. Now, I've preached to you that in the past, and I won't do it again today. But Romans 11 says, as Gentile believers, we were grafted into the olive tree. And when I read the Word of God, I find out that there were so many blessings in ancient Israel that were associated with obedience to the tithe. Matter of fact, in Malachi 3, God said, Prove me now, here we have, saith the Lord, if I will not open you the windows of heaven. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever gone to your curtain in your room and you've drawn the curtains back and raised the window so that you could address something out in the air? God said, I will open the heavens. God said, I will pull them back like a, like a window and I will open it so that I can pour a blessing upon you because you've been faithful in the giving of your tithes and offerings. I don't know about you, but I like to connect to things like that. Because when I connect to it emotionally and spiritually, it creates a confidence in me that if God, who is not a respecter of persons, would favor ancient Israel because of their faithfulness, then he'll favor our lives as well. 
Come on, somebody. And so you and I are privileged. We've been grafted in. Number four, you say, Pastor, what motivates us in our tithing? And that is, I'm motivated by my love for God. I'm not motivated through coercion out of a commandment that if I feel like I'm unfaithful, that I will suffer the wrath of God. I am motivated because he so loved me that he gave, come on, he gave. His Bible said, Paul said, unspeakable gift. The wealth of riches contained in Christ was expended for us on a cross called Calvary. Who are we not to bring a portion of blessing that God has committed to us and presented in sacrifice unto the Lord? Amen. And so I'm, I am moved by my love for Christ and the promise of his faithfulness. And lastly, though I've already mentioned this, but I'm moved in this vein of giving because I believe in the local church. I mean, I really believe that. And I'm not saying it because I'm not saying it because this is the only place I can find a job as a pastor. Matter of fact, I gave up a career to become a pastor. But in the words of Charles Hayden Spurgeon, if God's called you to preach, don't stoop to be the president. Come on, somebody. But in doing so, I'm not saying this because I'm trying to manipulate you and your giving. I'm saying it because it's a compulsion that I really believe. I believe in the local church, and I believe that the tithe and the first fruits of our offerings should be connected to the local church. Why? Because it creates connection. When you give to your local church, the tithe and the offering, where your treasure is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then you won't just go to this church, attend this church. You'll be, come on, you'll be this church. Our hearts will be woven together in love. God will strengthen us in not only provision for ministry, but also we'll also have the resources to be benevolent in our community. Time will not allow me to address the issue of benevolence through tithes and offerings today. But before this threefold series is over, I will address it more adequately. I believe today that the number one purpose of the tithe, and I'm going to talk about this with great clarity. You need to understand this. You need to be convinced of this. The number one purpose of the tithe it's not to provide the building. It's not so we have electricity. It's not so that we have a stage with uh, hand-scraped, engineered hardwood or a contemporary pulpit or screens to flash the words on. That's not the number one purpose of the tithe. The number one purpose of the tithe is that the skinny preacher and his associates have resources to provide for their family. I'm just being as honest and as blunt as I can be. That's the number one purpose. Of get, is that biblical? I believe that's biblical. I've been fully persuaded. I believed it when I was on that side of the pulpit, and I believe it on this side of the pulpit. It's the number one purpose. And let me take you into its history briefly to affirm this today before we pick up again in 1 Corinthians 9 today. For just some, Are y'all with me today for just a few moments? I know I'm very instructional, and I do not apologize because I believe a theme for the new year can emerge from a doctrinal truth that God writes in your heart. Because what would happen? What kind of revival would God give us if all of a sudden, from the least to the greatest, the eldest to the youngest, to those that are joining the church in a few weeks or to those that have been here for 50 years, what kind of blessing could we see in this fellowship and in this community and then around the world if everybody began to give in tithes and offerings? My God, that's good right there. Do you not think, what if we were to become the one church 
than 100% of its members tithe. Not out of obligation, but out of a compulsion of conviction based upon an understanding of the Word of God because you became fully persuaded in your own. I'm telling you, I believe that that sound, I believe that sound will go around the world, don't you? I believe that there would be missionaries in some of these nations that you see in in these uh, posters that are on our wall that would hear about a church in Heber Springs, Arkansas. That every member, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost right there. Maybe that will be our theme for 2016, every member. Come on, somebody. Every member is fully persuaded, and they are adding their agreement. So in Numbers, the 18th chapter, let's look at this briefly today, real quickly, and I'll start summarizing, and then I'll begin to close in just a few moments today. But y'all stay with me. In Numbers, the 18th chapter, now remember, this is the Mosaic Law to which we are learning principles from. This is King James English. That's what KJV stands for. I think you know that. Behold, I have given thee the charge of mine heave offerings, the things offered unto God. He's giving it unto who? To Aaron and his sons, the priesthood. Remember that of the sons of Levi, there were the Levites, and then there was Aaron, who was the priest. His sons would be the priesthood. He said, unto thee have I given them by reason of what? By re-, he said, because you've been anointed. And I'll tell you what, there's a message in that right there. I'll tell you, we need the men of God that are standing in the pulpits in America that are receiving the blessing of the tithe and the offering to have more than a theological degree, more than a piece of paper on their wall, more than an ecclesiastical endorsement of a seminary or ecclesiastical endorsement of a denomination. We need men of God and women of God in the pulpit that have a divine anointing from the Father that God has dripped down His Holy Spirit upon their heads and their words carry the penetrating presence of God. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I feel the anointing right there. He said, I want you to give this to them because they've been anointed. They've got it. This is an ordinance forever. It's a principle for us today. Ninth verse. I think it is. Let me just see real quickly. Yes, the ninth and then the 19th verse. This shall be thine of the most holy things reserved from the fire. Every oblation of theirs, every meat offering of theirs, every sin offering of theirs, and every trespass offering which they shall render unto thee shall be most holy for thee and thy sons. And connect that to the 19th verse just real quickly. The heave offerings of the holy things. I know many of you don't understand what that's saying, but just for the, to, to, to summarize it just real quickly, it was, the, it was the offerings of the animals and it also included grain and salt and it included wine and oil all the offerings that were brought to the house of God God said part of it will be burnt and sacrificed to me but part of it I'm giving to the sons of Aaron and that's they're going to be their provision it's a statue forever it is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord so the priesthood received the offering and then the Levites received let's read that 24th verse received the tithe the tithe was of the grain of the land but the tithes of the children of israel which they offer as a heath offering unto the lord i have given to the levites to inherit therefore i've said unto them among the children of israel they shall have no inheritance so just real quickly what god did with the children of israel he separated one tribe the levites and he took of the levites the lineage of aaron he put them as the priesthood and he said whatever's offered on the altar he said part of that meat part of that resource of grain part of that resource of oil part of that uh, will be he said part of that will belong to the priest they can take it that will be sustenance for the family of the priest then he said of the tithe the 10 percent of the fruit of the tree the 10 percent of the grain of the field and the and the and the uh the agriculture of the field that will be severed off and it will be given to the levites and that will be their provision so the tithe in the principle of the tithe as coming from the mosaic law it belonged not to build the temple 
not to hew stone upon the other, but that the provision of the pastors or the leaders might be taken care of. Now let's look at it in the same context, 1 Corinthians 9, just real quickly. We'd say, Pastor, we've already been there. Let's go ahead and look at it in the 11th verse. We omitted this while ago. Paul said this, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? Isn't that powerful? Paul said, now, so that means as a pastor, I've got to sow you spiritual things. That means I can't bring you a sermon from sermon.com every Sunday. I've got to have a sermon that was born in prayer, that I studied and I meditated and I contemplated and I prayed and I asked God for a revelation and understanding of his word so that I could sow something of spiritual merit and value into your heart and life, that I would give you more than three points in a poem, that I'd give you more than a feel-good sermon that'll make you feel good when everything around you is falling apart. I'll give you a word that's born out of the Holy Spirit's revelation of spiritual truths. I'll sow unto you spiritual things. And so therefore, we reap your carnal things. So therefore, we have carnal needs the same as you. I wish that I could say every time that I sat at my dinner table that Sherry and I, when we had six children at home, now it's just me, Sherry, and Alyssa, and that the table would be totally bare and that we would pray and I would say, Oh, God of heaven, Lord, you have miraculously provided quail from off of the sea because quail do not live over the sea. So it was miraculous and manna fell from heaven. And when I opened my eyes, let this bare table suddenly become a bountiful table full of all. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? It doesn't happen that way. Come on, somebody. We do just like you do. We go to Walmart. And we buy our groceries, but I buy my groceries with the resources that when you walk down to the front and you put in that silver tray, you need to know that silver tray is so that at the house, 3565 Uber Road, that when Pastor Brown goes to his cupboard, there's a jar of peanut butter in there. And that when I'm putting shoes on my children's feet, that I have the resources to put shoes on my children's feet. And that we need to be unashamed of these things. Now, let me, let's go a little bit further. Let's go on down. If others are partakers of this power over you, Paul, being a foundational apostle, said, we will not use it. The pastors were using it. Paul was a foundational apostle, said, I won't use it because I don't want to hinder the gospel of Christ. Because Paul knew it took time for the church to learn this. Spiritual truths, it takes time to mesh these out in your heart and mind until they become a part of your, of your spiritual convictions. And he said, I don't want to hinder this. Let's go a little further, 13th, and then culminate in the 14th verse. But we know that the things which they minister about the holy things, we read that earlier, 14th verse, last verse. Let's look at it before we shift. Even so hath the Lord what? Look at that word, ordained. God has done what? He's ordained. That means you can sit back here and you can say, well, I don't think that we ought to be giving our tithes and offerings to the house of God. I don't think we ought to be giving it. I think it ought to be going towards the poor. I think it ought to be able to go and provide for the building. I think it ought to be able to, uh, to be used for the starting of a, uh, a, a home or outreach towards the displaced people. All that's good. But God said that he ordained. He didn't ask you. Come on, he told us. He didn't ask me. He just said, I've ordained a system that they which preach of the gospel should live of the gospel. Now, oddly enough, the struggle we have in America is that some have exploited it. Televangelists. Not all televangelists have exploited it, but some have. And in their exploitation of this principle, they have created such a negativity in the minds of the common believer and the common believer has never become fully persuaded in their own mind. Listen, it doesn't matter what type of house John Osteen lives in or Joel Osteen lives in or T.D. Jakes. 
It doesn't matter if anybody that would be called a big-name preacher has exploited the principle. It does not extract the truth that's contained in the principle. So whether you're in a small rural community or whether you're in a wealthy metropolitan city in the United States, it matters not. The principle is the same. If there is a house of God, if there's a pastor over that house, then it's the church's responsibility. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Through our faithful giving tithes and offerings to provide for the sustenance of our pastors. And in doing so, I believe this with all of my heart. I'm a blessed man. I'm blessed as your pastor. I believe that the needs of the pastors need to be, blessed, to be met. They should be blessed. Because we want you to be blessed. And I know that there's a principle that adequately uh, puts those together. But I want to ask you another question. I ask you one. Don't answer it out loud this time. Just answer it in your heart. Can you handle it emotionally when the effects of your process of giving tithes and offerings and you have not yet moved into your season of harvest, can you affect, can you, uh, can you handle the effect when ministry is blessed and you're not blessed yet. When Elijah told the woman of Zarephath, make me a cake. And she went and made that cake. And she gave it to him. He ate it in front of her. She still had hunger pains in her stomach. And she had a child that was going to die of hunger. But it was a spiritual principle that even famine could not reverse. Honor the principle and God will honor his word. I feel the Holy Ghost right there. If I had somebody on the organ right now, my God, some of y'all might run in here today. I believe that. I'm telling you right there, honor the principle and God will honor his word. And so even in the middle of famine... When other people were bullying their children because of the famine, she was going to her meal barrel and she would go into her cruise of oil and God was miraculously providing because she honored the principle. So don't allow your economic situation to rob from you the principle that God has contained in his word. If you honor the principle, I'm here to tell you God watches over your faithfulness. And I can't tell you that it'll walk out of here tomorrow and everything will be changed, but I'm telling you, you'll have a confidence before God that you can't have that if you're not functioning in this tithes and offerings. And it becomes, I've got to omit for the sake of time, but it becomes our responsibility as the pastor is we got to handle this principle the right way. we got to handle it. We, got, we can't abuse your giving. Pastors need to be held to a higher ethical standard than what we have seen taking place in our televangelists today. We have to put personal uh, governors upon ourselves. I mean, I want to be blessed and I want to walk in, in, in resources and because I, I, but I don't want to be so caught up in it. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? That I feel like I have to abuse the sheep to extract resources from you to provide a living for me that is beyond what God would expect his children to walk in or to live in. I want to live a life that's blessed with the favor of God, but I don't want to put myself out to the reproach of the world. And I want to handle the resources. Time did not allow me, well, not allow me, but let me say this. Read it on your own, 2 Corinthians 8, 20 and verse 21, where the apostle said, we're going to handle this offering the right way because it's going to be distributed by us. We didn't give it, you gave it, but we're going to handle it. We want to handle it with the right concern. I want to handle the things that God has entrusted to me. I'm a faith, I want to be a faithful steward. I don't want to stand before God and say, God, I abused this church family. For my own selfish gain. I'm going to share one other thing before I close today. But in Hebrews 13 and 17. Do I have that one on there? I'd like for you to post that one if you would. 
is look at this path. This is, this is just where I found myself as I was working this out. I want you to be fully persuaded in your own mind. Obey those that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Now, this is not talking about uh, the rule over you as President Obama. Thank God for that. But this is talking about in the church. Obey those who have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Because he's not watching for your soul. But we're watching for your soul. That means we're praying for you. That means as pastors and leaders, we take these things to heart. My prayers for you this morning was, Father, I'm praying for every member of First Assembly of God, every person that's a part of our fellowship, God. I am praying, God, that you're working in their heart and mind. You know what one of my key prayers for you this morning was in my personal devotion time? I just want you to see that because we're watching for your soul. I prayed the prayer of Jesus that he said to Peter before Peter would be sifted as wheat by Satan and would actually deny that he knew the Lord. He said to Peter, the, Jesus did. He said, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. I prayed for you this morning that whatever season of life you're in, the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the mountaintop of the valley, whether you're in the greatest moment of financial prosperity in your life or whether you're looking for a job, I am praying that your faith will not fail. Because if your faith will not fail, your season will change. Your season will change for the good because God will take you through the season you're in right now and you will emerge on the other side a better person having gone through the fire of trial and knowing that God delivered you and you will give him glory. Come on, somebody. Now look at this. And so, so as we do so, submit, submit. He said, as they that must give account so that we can do it with joy and not with grief. Let, let, let me ask you this. Can you really obey and submit and allow us to watch over your souls without grief if you do not, as you mature in faith, don't give in tithes and offerings? So, Pastor, that's a hard question. See, there will always be some measure of frustration in my heart and mind concerning people who consistently, I'm not talking about new to the fellowship. I'm not talking about uh, maturing believers that are just new to the kingdom of God. But listen to this. I'm talking about people who consistently share in the fellowship of the church. They continue to draw from the resources, draw from its pastoral leadership, participate in its worship, use our facilities, yet, ne yet continually neglect tithes and offerings. Here's what I will promise. I will watch for your soul. I will continue. None of that will change. But I do it with grief. I do it with grief because you're not maturing in one of the key components that God wants you to mature in. I'm telling the truth here today, and I'm preaching better y'all shouting today. And I'm going to close here this morning. I'm going to omit about 50% of my sermon today, but it's 12 o'clock. Before anybody throws a stone at me, I need to finish here today. I believe, church family, going into 2016, God is taking our church to a new level. And every revival that I read about in the Old Testament, when apostate Israel came back to faith in God, and God began to bless the nation, giving of tithes and offerings was right in the heart of it. How many of you have ever read that in the Word of God? Where it, it, it seems like sometimes it's, it's hinged upon it. And I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you. Be fully persuaded in your own mind. So as I conclude, I'm going to ask you a few things here real quickly. Is it wrong 
to teach the principle of the tithe? Is that wrong? I think it would be wrong not to. I think it would be wrong to take a church, a people group like you, and fail to address one of the most controversial issues in the Word of God. It's not controversial in the Word. It's controversial in our argument of the Word. Now, my responsibility is I have convictions based upon my personal study, and so therefore I unfold those in front of you. But that does you no value if you don't study them out for yourself. You've got to be fully persuaded. Where? In your own mind. Now, I omitted complete reference to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. I will have to pick that up next week. But the first question is, is it wrong to teach the principle of the tithe? You've been, most of you have been in agreement saying, no, it would be wrong not to. Come on. I know it's, not, it's to the end, but not quite. Stay with me for just a few moments. So you say, well, pastor, whether it is a commandment or not, that's, that's really a lot of the argument. Is it a commandment? I, I can't really answer that. But if you were to read 2 Corinthians 8, verses 8 and 10, which is not on the screen, read it on your own time. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 8 and 10. Paul said, I'm not writing this by commandment, but I'm giving you my opinion. He said, I'm giving you my advice. I'm giving you my advice today. Study the tithe out. And I tell you, as you study it out, I believe God will put something deep in your heart that will cause you to change the way that you come to the front every Sunday. You'll come thanking God. You'll come rejoicing, bearing precious seed in your hand, knowing that you're about to sow it into good ground, trusting that the God that watches over precious seed sown is the God that will return harvest upon you and your house and your family. If we'd have read further in 2 Corinthians 8, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul said, God is able to make all sufficiency abound towards you. Did you know that God can make all sufficiency abound in your life and you will be sufficient in everything? God can make it. God can provide provision for you because he is a miracle-working God. Amen. And I want to close by just saying today to you, to my heart, to yours, first of all, first of all, you have to have a willing and a persuaded mind. You have to. You can't do it out of coercion. You can't just give because that's what you feel manipulated in giving. That's wrong. The church has abused. Pastors have abused this principle in the past. That's not my heart today. If you think that that's my heart, then you have missed the entire message today. I want you to study and become fully persuaded based upon the convictions of the Word of God. Second, we say, Pastor, I want to I go forward in this in my life. Second, there must be a performance of your will. Here's what we do, and JoJo was on a great point just earlier as we started the service, and that is we often have a will to do it, but then we never follow through. Alyssa asked me and Mom, she said, she said well, well, okay, what New Year's resolutions are y'all going to do? I thought, well, to eat more than I did in 2015. That's what it seems to be my pattern. But I said, no, we're not going to do that because I know what happens. I say I'm going to do one thing and I do something else. But in the area of giving and the giving of tithes and offerings, if we were to read, and we'll read it next week, if we were to read it, Paul said, there's got to be more than just thinking about it and saying, I'm going to. There comes a moment when you just got to start right where you're at. And say, God, I'm going to begin to give. And I'm going to begin to function in this way. Thirdly, and this is very important to me. Thirdly, if we will read it next week, an equality. I just believe God wants all of us to participate. I don't think the basis 
of the health of our church should be dependent financially upon a few people who give so much more above and beyond while the others of us neglect. That is not the will of God. Come on. The will of God is an equality that we all participate at whatever level God has blessed our lives with. Fourthly, make a commitment on what you have, not on what you don't have. Don't be at this, man, when this right here, when I get this, when I start making this much money, if you wait till you start making that much money, that day may never arrive. So God said, don't base it upon what you think in your mind you will one day have. Just start right where you're at. Take the courage. The tithe is the same. If it's $10 off of 100 or if it's 100 off of 1,000, it's all the same to God. So start where you're at. Oh, I'm preaching a lot better in closing. I know y'all ready to get out of here. Fifthly, lastly, if, you've already, uh, if you're already a tither, let me encourage you, continue. Continue. Be blessed. Be blessed as you stand up today. And if not, start somewhere. Here's a prayer to close with today. And I'm going to just let it go. I just feel it. I, this is odd. I, I've started.